When it comes to the Bible, we often think in terms of two levels, reading and studying. And both of those approaches to scripture are good and important. However, there's a third approach to engaging with God's word that is in many ways most important, meditating on it. In our interview today, I'm talking with David Mathis about this foundational yet often neglected spiritual discipline and why it's something that has the power to lead us to renewed excitement, joy, and satisfaction when it comes to God's word. David serves as senior teacher and executive editor at DesiringGod.org, as a pastor at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and as an adjunct professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary. He's also the author of Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Matt, it's great to be talking to you and be sitting in the same room. Yes. Usually it's by distance, but now we're here in the same space. It is. It is really nice. Uh, so today we're going to talk about Bible meditation. And as Christians, we, we talk a lot about reading the Bible. We talk a lot about studying the Bible, but we don't really talk as much about meditating on the Bible. We don't maybe think of it as a distinct thing that is worth discussing on its own merits. Uh, and in your book, you use this helpful analogy of watching a movie to kind of illustrate the difference between all these approaches to scripture. So I wonder if you could explain that that metaphor and help us understand meditation. Yeah, uh, I love talking about the differences between reading, studying, meditating, where reading would be just like going at the normal speed of the medium. So it's like you push play on the movie, you're watching it at its, at its normal speed. To study it then might be to, to go in slow motion mm. or to try to make connections. Oh, that comment that was just made by Maverick goes back to the 1988 movie of Top Gun. Or you, <laughs> make, you make connections earlier in the film or other films, you know, across the series or whatever. You kind of do some studying. Meditation would be like hitting pause, mm. like a freeze frame. And you just pause, like, let's, just, let's talk about this moment. Let's enjoy this moment. Did you see what just happened? Can you feel the weight of this moment? So it, it's lingering in that particular space. Uh, it's not just the slowing down of study. It's even the pausing of a freeze frame. Another way, another metaphor you might want to get at it is if reading is like raking, rake the leaves in the front yard. If you've got a small yard, you can do it pretty quick. It's relatively quick work to read at normal speed. Study then is a, it's more arduous. It's like digging, you know, get a mm. shovel. It's, shoveling is more difficult than raking. But meditation then, now this is to change the metaphor. Meditation is having done the work, sitting on the front porch with a glass of lemonade to enjoy the mm. work that's been done. That, mm. That's what I love trying to emphasize uh, with Christians in Bible reading. We do want to do normal speed reading, and you know, texts are meant to be read at their, their normal speed, but in particular, ancient texts are meant to be lingered over. Mm. They did not publish quick and easy. They did not have the machines that we have. They did not have the internet that we have. When they wrote a text, when they put it down on the page, it, put, it had a lot of labor put into it. They had thought about it. The, the biblical texts have been so carefully thought through, and they reward the kind of slow, studious, but then also meditative reading, where we don't only ask the question to go back to something else and, and ha- try, to, try to pose questions, have answers, but then also enjoy that reality. God means for his book to not only run in one ear and out the other, but to move down into the heart 
and to shape us mm. at our core. Mm-hmm. And in all of those metaphors that you shared, that of raking and then like digging and actually then enjoying the accomplished work there, or even watching a movie, you're pausing it and you're kind of really just excited about that one frame that you're staring at. Uh, you also talk about the idea of digging and finding a gem or a jewel underground and kind of just marveling at that thing. Is there something inherent to meditation where there is this enjoying function to it, where it's like a celebration of the beauty of something? Is that like a core part of what you mean when you say meditation? Yes, I would say a core aspect of it. Now, there may be, I think there's also warnings Hmm. to meditate on. I mean, I I want to be led by the biblical text. Yeah. This morning, reading in Jeremiah 47, like there is, there's supposed to be there's warnings there. Mm. there. There's an appropriate fear. So meditation may lead to a kind of reverent fear, the kind of awe yeah. that those who know themselves to be in covenant with the one true God, the kind of awe they would have about his power, about how he orients on rebellion and unrighteousness. But that awe is connected to enjoyment, to know ourselves in his son, Jesus Christ. And the fear of warnings should lead us in the end to a kind of enjoyment that we have been brought close mm. to this God. So I do love to tell people, I, I, I do love to pursue this on my own, to come to, the, to, come to, to, to God in the morning in prayer and say, God, show me something good here. I mm. want to find something good. Give me something to enjoy. Would you feed my soul? So I often use the language of Exodus 16 where they were told to gather a day's portion each day of manna. And so I, I think, I, I want to gather a day's portion. I'm not here to, to read long enough or study enough that I gather up for weeks or for months. Like, mm. God, would you give me a day's portion here today that would satisfy my soul? So that language of satisfaction, that language of enjoyment, even to say, God, delight my soul, thrill my soul with your goodness, with your grace, with some fresh aspect of the varied glory of your son, the countless excellencies of your son. Give me one one sight of one of those this morning and feed my soul as I meditate on your goodness to me in mm. Christ Jesus. Okay, so if you were to take a step back, how would you boil all that down into a simple definition of meditation? What is biblical meditation? By meditation, and this is very important to say because we live in a world that mainly talks about meditation in a very Eastern sense. Right. Rather than and I want, biblical I want to get sense. into that in a little bit, but okay. keep going. So we don't seek to empty the mind of content like the Eastern meditation. We want to fill the mind with biblical content and chew on it, so to speak. Seek to savor it appropriately and press it into the heart so that we have a whole-souled interaction with the text. Mm. That we move beyond just a mental, cerebral grasping or appropriating of the text and seek to push it down into the heart so that it penetrates the deepest part of our being that we're really that there's an emotional response to the text is that, that is, a, is that a key text. part of it is there's there if, if we're not having an emotional response to the text we're not really meditating i think so mm. I, at least we're at least we're coming short of what we're hoping for yeah in terms of we want to have this text not just go to the mind. We want it to connect to us mm. and change us in our deepest parts. And would you say every text of Scripture should be able to do that, could could do that for us, even if it's we're reading in Leviticus about the, you know, the law codes for the Israelites? Should we expect that if we meditate deep enough or long enough or well enough that we will be affected emotionally and uh, in this kind of whole soul type of way? I do think every text 
has an appropriate emotional response to it. Some may be more dynamic and significant, and sometimes we may think of emotional responses as really uh, jazzed up yeah. or really palpable emotional responses. But they're very thin, subtle emotional responses. I think every text has those. But in particular, biblical texts, which are sacred. These are inerrant expressions from the one true God through his prophets and apostles. There is an emotional, emotionally appropriate response to every text. As sinners, we're not going to have that, but I want to seek to engage the heart in reading the Bible, and we often come up short. You know, we may come into a particular morning thinking, I'm not letting him go till he blesses me, and it may not be a felt blessing. Maybe the blessing he has for you that day is teaching you the lesson that you can't just have the emotional experience you want to have every morning and you know what it feels flatline today and that's still shaping your soul because even when your heart wasn't fully engaged you still came you opened the book you laid yourself bare before god Mm. you sought to trust him and he was working on you in the grand scheme there in a way that wasn't immediately felt yeah. Uh, is exciting. So you call meditation, quote, the most misunderstood and most underrated of the spiritual disciplines in the church today. Why do you say that? Well, my experience of the church at large is very limited. So I've got, I've got my Southern Baptist background in South Carolina. I've got my time in the PCA world during college. I've now been in Minneapolis since 2003. I did travel. I've traveled around in some different ways with, with John Piper and, and in other contexts of traveling. So I can only speak to what I see. I was involved with a campus ministry that really emphasized Bible study, you know, along with evangelism and prayer. But Bible study was really significant. And I just have not heard a lot in my limited circles. Mm. I haven't heard a lot of conversation about meditation. It's kind of, in my, in, in, from my perspective, it seems to be a kind of lost art today. Mm. And a time when it wasn't a lost art was among the Puritans. I mean, it is amazing what the Puritans have to say. Joel Beakey has a great article where he summarizes much of what the Puritans had to say on meditation. I I got some quotes here on some of what I have found to be the best angles on meditation Mm, from the Puritans. Thomas Watson, he's 1620 to 1686. He says, study is finding out of a truth. Meditation is the spiritual improvement of a truth. Mm. So you can hear there, this is the application to the heart. It's a kind of spiritual, emotional appropriation of the text to the soul. Samuel Ward, 1577 to 1640, he says, Stir up thy soul in meditation to converse with Christ. Look what promises and privileges thou dost habitually believe. Now actually think of them. Roll them Mm. under thy tongue. That's interesting right there. (laughs) Now actually think of them. It kind of highlights this thing that we've all experienced. If we sort of know something intellectually, we we can think of it in this surface level way. But meditation is kind of really pressing in on it, trying to to understand it more. That's right. The moving from thinking to actually thinking. Mm. (laughs) Where maybe there's not this disjunction between the heart and the head, but a wholeness to the soul. So actually think of them. Roll them under thy tongue. Chew on them till thou dost feel some sweetness on the palate of thy soul. <laughs> so that there's, there's the sweetness, you know, going for the enjoyment. We use that language of enjoyment. Yeah. You know, going for a kind of pleasant, spiritual response to the text. Edmund Calamy, 1600 to 1666. In meditation, he says, I love this one. 
be like the bee. I'm not going to honeybee here. Be like the bee that dwells and abides upon the flower to suck out all the sweetness. <laughs> George Mueller talked that way about a text, going through it to try to get every last drop of joy out of the text, of goodness out of a text. That's what meditation does. It pushes pause and hopefully pushes pause on the hurried, frantic world outside of us that is constantly pressuring us in the age of accelerations to do the next thing, do the next thing, finish this up. And meditation seeks to block that out, linger over the word. I want to taste the sweetness in this paragraph, in this chapter, in this verse. God, would you let me taste the sweetness in this text? And on that front, that gets at one of the, maybe the most countercultural facets of meditation in my understanding here is it, it requires a level of patience and calm and just time that is really hard to come by today, not just in in terms of just our busy lives, we have lots of things on our calendars, but even just the cultural air that we breathe, as you were saying, is so predisposed towards distraction and productivity and getting things done, checking things off. Have you found that that's a a challenge? Maybe maybe two questions. Have you struggled with fighting against that in, in meditation? And then also, have you actually found that you've gotten better at that as you've practiced? Yes, absolutely struggled. I mean, that's one of the reasons I (laughs) appreciate this so much. I'm so passionate about it and love talking to people about it uh, because of the struggle. You know, that appreciation emerges out of the struggle. And uh, and for years in my Bible reading plan, I would have my boxes to check and there were far, I was far too prone to get the reading done quick, check the box and move on. And I would regularly feel like... Because that feels good. Right? It kind of feels There's good to, little, to get it done. There's a little tiny dopamine hit from that. Yeah. But it's not the same thing as having a spiritual hunger satisfied. It's mm-hmm. having your soul made happy in God. There's other, if I need a little quick dopamine hit, there's some other achievements, you know, I can pursue. The rest of the day, there can be quick achievements, you know, to check the box, get the little dopamine. Mm. But I, I think our time in the Word, our, our time alone with Christ through His Word, by the Spirit, should be so much more than that, so much deeper and just that little sense of personal satisfaction. Mm. And so over the years, I would say, yes, I've gotten better at this in a very, I hope, modest and humble way in the sense of for the listener saying, you can get better in this. Like Mm. this is not something that falls from heaven as a static gift and either you're a meditator or you're not. Yeah. This is a skill that's cultivated. It's a art. You know, we talk about being a lost art. The Puritans didn't just automatically know how to meditate. It was, a, it, it was something they worked on and developed, mm. and probably it takes all the more work and development and cultivation in our fast-paced age of accelerations in which we live, where even times when we're not trying to hurry, we're subtly pressed into manifestations of hurry mm-hmm. because of how our age operates. When, when do you actually find time to do it? Like, what's been the—paint a picture of practically— when and how long that you practice biblical meditation in your own life just for someone who's thinking i don't i just don't know when i would do that or how that would actually look first thing in the morning before Mm. the kids are up (laughs) so i I got four little ones they're not as little now as they have been over the last 10 years so twin boys that are 12 a daughter who's eight a daughter is five and a half and uh it, it it's beginning to feel like i'm out of the years that were most difficult yeah and so there were there were times where daddy gets up early and i found i need as a man i need less sleep than my wife regularly Mm. 
So if we go to bed at the same time together, there's an opportunity there for me to get up while everybody's quiet, the house is still quiet, get some black coffee going, and <laughs> have time that I hope is unhurried. I, I mean for these to be the most unhurried, even leisurely moments mm-hmm. of the day. Mm. And if my soul can find the right pace over the text, that will form a kind of wall, that will form a kind of help, that will give my soul a kind of rest that then can journey through an accelerated, often too hurried day of stuff coming at me. But when the kids were younger, so so many times, get down there, the coffee's done, uh, open up the Bible, begin to move slowly through the first reading, and then baby cries. <laughs> and and it, it's a challenge yeah. at that moment to, all right, dad is called to love. You know, mom can get a little more sleep, time to get the infant, bring the infant here or the young child. But a, a, as the kids have gotten older, they sleep more consistently, mm. regularly. Uh, I have some of the best moments of the day to stop, think, pause, and do so over God's word. I'm not seeking to fill my head with my own thoughts. I want to fill my head with God's thoughts and do so in that unhurried manner mm. over the word. For I would, uh, I think for somebody starting out, I would me- I'd recommend blocking off half an hour. Half hour. I, I, I don't think, it, it, for me, it's hard to move into meditation and enjoy it and move out of it naturally in only 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I think if you, if you want to establish a pattern, we all should be able to block off half an hour. And I do think you can make some great headway in that time. One thing I'm looking for is I want to lose track of time. Hmm. Sometimes in the tech world or business world, we talk about having flow. Yeah, (laughs) getting into a flow. That's right. I I want a kind of devotional flow where I'm not watching a clock. In, In fact, I like to turn my phone over and put it away from me as, as much as possible that my subconscious would think the phone's not nearby, the phone's not going to be a distraction. This is a time to lose track of time and to be with God over his word in an unhurried way. Mm-hmm. And I do think that as you start at, say, half an hour, you might find, and I would say to somebody, you don't need to artificially increase that, but you can increase it as you want to. You, you might find out that over the course of, I think you need to give it weeks, or months. So there's and a level of stick to itness that's required for this. Absolutely. There's, you're, there's you're painting a kind this picture of, of like, it's just so wonderful and so satisfying, fulfilling. But I would imagine there's people listening right now who have said, yeah, that sounds great, but I've tried this and it's, right. I get distracted. I get bored. It's hard work. That's right. Reading the Bible is a lifetime pursuit. And learning to meditate is a lifetime pursuit, like so many skills in our lives that we never think twice about. You know, we don't think, oh, I'll pick up some golf clubs and I'll shoot par on on 18 holes. Mm. Like, that's a skill you develop over time. Uh, I I would say in terms of regularly rich, satisfying, like you're, you're feeling where my soul has been so shaped by these regular encounters with Christ through his word that there is a a reasonable expectation of tasting some genuine sweetness in his word on a daily basis, that may be years in the making. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that, that it's worth it. And, and if you begin the process, you might go several days where I don't feel any blessing. Now, there may be real engagement there that you're just not yet sensitive enough to feel, to make it 
It's that's manifest in your own consciousness, mm. but you're being shaped over time. And what's so important is shaping of the heart, shaping of the mind, and that kind of encounter with the risen Christ over His Word, where it does. My experience, the experience of others, it does really happen over time. Mm. I would say stick with it. Yeah, and that maybe is a natural lead into something you call the X factor in Bible reading mm. uh, and in Bible meditation. I wonder if you could unpack that. What is the X factor in Bible reading? Uh, it was just uh, something that came to me years ago in terms of trying to help both my own self and other Christians think that this is, as we come to God's Word, this is not like coming to a textbook. This is not like studying for class. This is not like working on a PhD. This is this is not mere study. It's not not, e- just, not even like reading a beautiful poem. That's right. It is not just me in this text. The Holy Spirit accompanies and binds himself to God's Word in a way that is different than other texts. So I, I would say, if you know, if you're studying whatever or reading something else, sure, pray for God's help. God help me to understand this. But the Holy Spirit is committed to God's Word in a special way. Hmm. And so I, I, I love reminding Christians, don't think that it's just you and your Bible. That is such a low, pathetic view of devotions, like me at a table with a book. Hmm. It is so much more than that. It is you at a table with the book, with the power of the Holy Spirit and the risen Christ who is alive and is on heaven's throne and he is knowable through his word and by the spirit. This is a, it's legitimate to talk about this as communing with Christ Mm. through his word. This is how he communes with his people. So it is a... An amazing thing to sit down at a table with the book and the power of the Spirit. That's the X factor in Bible reading, the power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to work on our heart. So it's not just me in my own strength, shaping my own heart, working on the heart, pounding the biblical text into my own heart. I'm saying, God, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Would you do this? Would you give me spiritual tastes? Would you satisfy the spiritual appetite with your goodness, your sweetness? And risen Jesus... I want to know you. Would you show me your glory? Show me your grace in and through this text, in your word, by the power of your spirit mm. in these moments. I think something that we can, Christians can wrestle with, though, is, is we want to believe that there is this X factor, namely God himself, the Holy Spirit, there with us. You, these are his words that he's using in us to shape us and change us. But sometimes our, our subjective experience of reading the Bible, meditating on the Bible, just doesn't live up to that. It doesn't right. feel like that. Have you ever wrestled with that? Why do you think it is that it isn't more obvious that this is this sacred, amazing, powerful text that we have in our day-to-day experience? Definitely wrestled with it. I mean, it, I know that's the experience of th- some on a one-time try, on a few weeks, mm. on a few days, that there is a real shaping of the soul that happens. So if if you were to say to someone, all right, here we go, run a 5K. There may be some who have trained themselves and their body has been shaped by that demand, that distance, that practice, and they're ready to go. Most are probably going to start from scratch and need to (laughs) maybe just need to (laughs) walk for 10 minutes to begin (laughs) with and eventually, you know, pick up the legs and jog a little bit. And so it, it, uh, this is how it works with our bodies. It also is how it works with our souls. You know, our souls are moldable, shapeable, our emotions, our heart. There's a kind of fitness. And many of us begin, we come to God's Word, uh, 
unfit <laughs> to, to, to engage with the holy God through his word in that way. Mm. And there's a kind of reshaping that needs to happen to the inner man. You know, not just the outer man for, for running or some sport, but the a shaping of the inner man that comes. And so I, I love to encourage people, the first time you go out and run, you don't do a 5K. Uh, and, and the first time that you come to encounter God through the Bible, there's work that needs to be done. There's some, there's some shaping, there's some conditioning that needs to happen in the soul that if you stick with over time, it will happen. Mm, yeah. You think there's a danger, David, with when it comes to how we think about Bible reading and Bible meditation of going too far on this journey of looking for this emotional connection or this, maybe we'd call it a spiritual high that would come with that and and denigrating just the intellectual value of of studying and thinking carefully about who God is and, and just knowing him better. Yeah. knowing ourselves better. Do you, do you have to wrestle with that? Is that a, something that we should be aware of, of looking too much for this uh, subjective experience and maybe downplaying the value of just knowing God? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think modern people, or maybe just humans in general, often suspect that more can happen in the short run and don't expect how much can happen in the long run. Mm. So I, I would pair our unrealistic expectations of felt emotional experiences in the short run, I would pair that with far too little expectation for what God might do hmm. in the long run. I yeah, mean, there is a training of the soul, a shaping of the soul that can happen in God's word that maybe we don't even have the categories to think about that long term. And it, you won't experience it until you've gone through it. But God's kind to give us little tastes, give us bursts, give us some unexpected gift along the way. But you're right. It, it, uh, it's very easy for us to expect some emotional high, which is not promised in Scripture, which should not be the kind of thing that we focus on. But yes, there's, there is a role in moving from, we've talked about those categories of reading, going deeper in study, mm. and then taking that study to the, the next degree in meditation. And I would say this, it's cumulative over a lifetime. You know, engaging with the Bible is a lifetime pursuit. And as you work through the Bible, as you work through texts throughout the Bible, those texts illumine other parts of the Bible. You understand the Gospels better by understanding parts of the minor prophets and the prophet Isaiah who Isaiah is so hard to understand, but as you move through the Bible year after year, month after month, there's a cumulative effect. Texts, then these ancient texts become a, a, a more immediately accessible to a mind that has been shaped mm. by that practice over time. Yeah. So I hear you saying that then there's both patience required in, in this morning as I meditate on this passage of Scripture. I need to be able to slow down and take my time. But we also need a level of patience more broadly as we seek to meditate over the course of days and months and years that we're going to see the effect of that. We're going to feel the effect of that probably over time, not in every instance. Yeah, low expectations up front, patience, and high expectations in the long run. Yeah. Maybe a final question on that point, David. I wonder if you could just summarize how has biblical meditation, as you've exercised that muscle and developed those habits, uh, habits of grace. How has that changed your life? Well, I sure hope that the change is so deep and profound that it affects everything. Mm. I sure hope I'm a far better or a little bit better husband than I would be otherwise. I sure hope it's far better. Yeah. 
Uh, I think I'm more equipped as a father, having been shaped in the last 20 years, mm. let's say. So I'm, I just turned 42 and uh, graduated from college, I guess around 22. So as an adult out of college now, it's been about 20 years of trying to journey my way over and over through the Bible. And I mean, that, I hope that affects the way I think, the way I feel, the way I go through life, the way I see the world. I hope how quickly I think about God, that I, I hope that there is resistances built up for the pressures of our secular times, that I hope I don't, I'm not as quick to be snookered by secular expectations and assumptions. Mm-hmm. So I, it's hard to give particular manifestations other than I got, some, I got something to start my day off that's fresh, that's sweet, let's hope, and then I can share with somebody else. I, I love being able to share with our team at Desiring God, with our teaching team as we get together. Usually on Mondays, I'll try to share something fresh from that morning or from the weekend mm. that has been sweet to my soul and that we can pray for our week. And as a pastor and teacher, there are uh, concepts, sweetnesses, goodnesses in God's Word that are immediately affecting my teaching all the time. Mm. But I, I don't want to presume that every listener is a pastor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, so that the, the applications are just public teaching. Yeah. Because that, I would encourage pastors, uh, as you linger over God's Word, don't make it regularly to be a, a passage you're preparing for teaching. Yeah, don't be thinking, <laughs> uh, how do I preach this? Yes. Uh, first and foremost, to engage with Christ through the text, and then fruit is born through that. And sometimes you go back to that fruit. And so instead of, here's the assigned passage, let me find something in it, it's I'm working my way through God's Word, quite apart from any coming teaching assignments, and there's a growing catalog of beauties, of glories, of fruit that I can then pull from, pluck from to share with others, or make into an article, or make into a I have a, a contributing part of a sermon or in, mm. a, in a seminary classroom. Mm. It's so good. David, thank you so much for helping us think about this, as you say, neglected spiritual discipline, but one that, that in, in some ways is the capstone of what it is we're doing and we're seeking when we read the mm. Bible. Amen. Thank you, Matt. That was David Mathis on The Lost Art of Bible Meditation. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines. Pick up a print copy of the book for 30% off, or get the ebook or audiobook for 50% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org plus. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, consider telling a friend and leaving us a review. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.